Good morning. It's great to see you here today. What I'm going to share with you today is probably one of the most important uh, messages I'll ever give. And uh, I want you to really be tuned into this because I think it's uh, life-changing and incredibly important for the people of God to get what I'm going to share with you this morning. The Bible says that we as followers of God will be known by our love one for another. It'll be a telltale sign uh, that God is in our midst. When people see us, see us interacting and see how we interact with the world, they ought to have their breath taken away a little bit. They ought to think, wow, what's going on? What's up with these people? It ought to be like I talked about last week, getting to the Grand Canyon and going, whoa, this thing is so big and so vast, it doesn't even seem real. We're taking a hike through Family Matters this spring, and we're stopping every now and then at these scenic views to kind of gaze upon the significant things that affect us as a family of God here as a church and also affect our family at home. And today we're at this topic of love. And I tell you what, we're still in the Grand Canyon. We got there last week. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you don't see that puppy in an hour. You go around it for hours. And so we're still kind of gazing into the Grand Canyon here this morning in terms of uh, spiritually what God wants us to see. Today, we're, we're coming upon this, this view of love, of biblical love. Um, and I want you to get a, a, a real sense of it. When I, when I uh, went to the Grand Canyon, it wasn't until Vicki and I actually walked down into it that I began to think, that is one big canyon. That thing is huge. Today, we will do this concept of love a disservice if we aren't willing to walk into it. If we aren't willing to begin to grapple with what does it really mean? How do I really live this way? Do I understand what God is even telling me when it comes to this idea that I am to love others and be in love with him? We need to walk into it a bit. We need to experience experience it. We need to begin to grab a hold of it up close and grab a hold of it for ourselves. A couple of weeks ago, I touched on this idea um, that love is the most excellent way. Paul's teaching the Corinthian church, a, a church full of strife, division, jealousy, spiritual competition, a church just full of all kinds of troubles. And he's teaching this church about the ways of God. And he gets to this teaching in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, on love. It's a very succinct, profound teaching on love. And as he gets to this teaching on love in, in, in chapter 13, he prefaces it by saying, now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. In that prior message, I just mentioned it. Today we're going to dive into this most excellent way in depth. It's our big thought this morning. The most excellent way is love. The most excellent way is love. And we're going to look at what does that mean? Because if we get a hold of this and we become this kind of a people here, we'll be people that cause others to kind of catch their breath a bit and going, what is going on there? They're going to have like a Grand Canyon moment when they view us if we really become this kind of people. I think understanding biblical love is key to the thriving and success of any church like ours. I think it's so important for your family at home that you understand biblical love you're not going to thrive. You're not going to do really well as a family until you get this concept down and begin to really truly live it out. So are you ready to go on this tour with me this morning a little bit? Are you ready to look at biblical love? Are you ready to be challenged? Because it's really challenging. It's extraordinarily convicting. This stuff is extraordinarily convicting, and it ought to be. Listen, I'm going to read now for you 
1 Corinthians 13. Hear what uh, the word of the Lord says to us this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a uh, faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, full, uh, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, wow, that was super weak. <laughs> but the greatest of these is, thank you. So Paul has taken us to this magnificent view of love. This is what we ought to look like. If we look like this, it'll be breathtaking to the world. It'll be magnificent and wondrous. They'll wonder what's going on. So I want to walk through this scripture with you for just a few moments, hopefully bringing some clarity to it. But please, don't just listen. Interact with this material today. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to touch your heart, that you become a person that really does this and understands what I'm about to share with you. So here we go. Are you ready to go on a little hike down into this Grand Canyon of love this morning? Let's, let's go on this hike. Here we go. First of all, we see love is central. It is absolutely central. It's not a tack on. It's not something where you go, okay, now I'm going to love for a little while. Whew, that was a lot of work. Now I'm not going to love anymore. That's not how it works. It's to be the backbone of relationship. It's just how we are to interact with one another and this world. Anything less than that is just noise-making. It's just busyness. The tongues of men and angels are going to pass away. Knowledge and prophecy are going to cease to be important. Faith and service and hope and all that kind of stuff even all those things are subservient to love. Love dominates all things. It doesn't mean these other things aren't important, but they're going to cease to be important. Because at one point, Christ is going to come, amen, right? And everything's going to be complete in him. And the only thing that's going to remain is love. Love has to be something we figure out. It needs to become a dominant idea in our theology of how we do our Christianity. Listen, you're not going to thrive or succeed as a family, whether that be a family unit at home, whatever that looks like. We're not going to you know, thrive or succeed as a church unless we get this biblical concept of love. It has to become a dominant characteristic of who we are 
in how we do our Christianity. So it's central, right? Let's move on to the second idea. This is what I love about 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't just say to me, hey, love is super duper important. And I go, what is it? It tells us what it is. In verses 4 through 7, it tells us the characteristics of love. This is point number two. Love has characteristics. It's more than a feeling. It has some characteristics. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not proud. It's not boastful. It protects, right? It perseveres. And on and on I could go. Um, I want to do with you this morning an exercise. And here's where you need to begin to truly engage with me. I want us to do a bit of a self-awareness, self-analysis exercise this morning. Because if we just read this scripture I read this morning casually, it's pretty, it's poetic. You hear it at weddings all the time, right? And you all go, oh, it's so pretty. It's meant to be this heart-piercing, challenging way of doing life that can only be accomplished by the infilling of the Holy Spirit and by our submission to Christ Jesus. It's meant to be something that we don't just read about every now and then at a wedding because it's all used scripture at wedding all the time and think, my, doesn't the bride look pretty today? It's meant to be this way of doing life that's utterly different so that when people see us doing this, they go, I want what you have. I want what you got. I don't have that in my life. And so Paul lists for us some very tangible characteristics of love. And so what we're going to do this morning is a little exercise. How are you doing with these various tangibles of love? Are they manifested in your life? So we're going to do an exercise on manifesting the characteristics of of love. I'm only going to look at a few. I just picked a few up for an example. You could do this for every single one of those listed here, what I'm about to do with you. But hear how this ought to impact us. First of all, it says love is patient. Are you a patient person? Most of you are shaking your head. In fact, you're right now very impatient that I'm not going faster. Do you get impatient driving around Brookings? Anybody raise their hand with me? Yeah, my goodness. Anyway, I'm not going to go there because I'm going to just reveal how weak I am at being patient. In what ways have you tended to be an impatient person, I asked you this morning? How is it manifesting itself? What provokes your impatience? What does your impatience tell you about needing some healing from God in this area of your life? Confess it if you're impatient. Don't just say, love is patient. Oh, that's cute. Don't read it like that. Read it and go, wow, I don't think I'm a very patient person. And if I'm going to be a one, a person that demonstrates the love of God, then I need to demonstrate that by being patient. Confess it. Let the Holy Spirit do some transformative work in you. Love's not easily angered, we're told in the scripture. Unchecked, unrighteous love is destructive. It's destructive to relationship. Anger is contrary to love. If you have a tendency towards anger, you need to own up to it. You need to admit it. You need to be delivered from it. You're not going to have inner freedom and peace with others until your anger is dealt with. 
confess to anger if that's an issue. Because if you're going to be a person that expresses biblical love, it's not going to be sitting here coupled with anger. Got it? It's just not going to work that way. So if you have an anger issue, deal with it and let the Holy Spirit transform you. Love's not self-seeking. Now, self-seeking can be expressed in many ways. It's where you just constantly propose your ideas. You just kind of dominate conversation with people. You don't listen to other people's story. It's always, you're waiting for them to take a breath to turn it back on to what you're doing, right? They're having a conversation, you're having a conversation, but nobody's having a conversation together because we're so busy talking about ourselves. It's where you're absorbed in your desires and your wants and your needs, imposing your will on to others and not being satisfied with less. Listen, when God comes into you and this transforming love begins to uh, touch your heart, one of the first things that should become changed in you is you truly begin to care about other people. Because God turns your focus to them, to them. So let me ask you right now, are you self-absorbed? Do you need to confess to some self-seeking? Because love, biblical love, is not self-seeking. Let's go on to the next one. Love always hopes. I think it's inevitable in life that we come to moments of despair where we tend to be a bit hopeless. And despair can be the result of losing a loved one, you know, and missing that person. It can be the loss of a dream. Maybe you thought you were going to have this happen in a career. It can be a failure that you weren't expecting. All those things can trigger despair. But listen, we serve a God of great hope, right? At some point in that despair moment, God has to prevail in you. His love has to prevail in you. And his hope has to replace hopelessness. If you're stuck in despair, one of the things I would encourage you to do is go to somebody and say, I need to have prayer. Like after service, we have prayer every, every Sunday. It, it, you know, if, if you need to deal with some of these things after service, go there and pray with somebody, amen? But pray about it. But don't, don't just say, this is the way I am. No, no, a thousand times, no. We are not just the way we are. God wants to create in us a new man or woman. And he wants us to truly manifest these things that he reveals to us in 1 Corinthians 13 as characteristics of love. So confess to hopelessness. Love always perseveres. There are times when we want to just give up. Give up on a person, give up on maybe an important issue, give up on a goal or whatever it can be. Love perseveres. Love hangs in there. Whatever challenge you are facing right now, I'm going to ask you, are you giving up? Don't give up in Christ. Never give up in Christ. Where do you need to experience the persevering love of God in your life? Confess to giving up. You see how this works? When we read the scripture, we shouldn't just blow through it in a casual reading and go, wow, that's poetic, that's beautiful. And it is. We should stop and go, wow, I don't know if I'm patient. I, I, God, I confess, I'm not a very patient person. And I'm telling you all right now, I'm not a very patient person. And I know a lot of you, you're not very patient either. It's, a, it's problematic. Sometimes we just need to slow down and trust God. 
quit taking on things that we can't handle anyway and give them over to God. You get what I'm saying here? This should be a moment of deep, soul-searching self-awareness as we read this scripture. Um, And then as that revelation comes to you, then you can count on the fact that the Holy Spirit will empower you to begin to live your life differently, manifesting biblical love as spelled out in 1 Corinthians verses 4 through 7. So we're at this Grand Canyon moment, right, here? We're looking at this topic of love and what we could look like as a body of Christ here uh, called Grace Point if we truly loved one another. And Paul brings us to one more big view we got to get. I think it's so important. Love will continue. Love will continue. He says something in here that's almost a little bit startling if you weren't really super familiar with the Scripture. Now we know in part, now we prophesy in part, we see in part, now we live by faith, now we live by hope, but there's a day coming when there's going to be completeness. And what he's saying here is, all these things, they're super important, but the day is coming when we're going to see Jesus face to face. And prophecy won't be important. We know Jesus, we're with Jesus. Faith, as important as this, will be completed. We'll have our completeness in Jesus. But guess what continues on? Love, forever. It'll always apply. It'll always be relevant. That's sobering, isn't it? It's convicting. Because right now, I think some of us think, and I do this too, well, I don't really like that person, I'll just put up with them and get by. But God is telling us, no, you better learn how to love them right now because all eternity you're going to be addressing this issue if you don't figure it out now. You get what I'm saying here? It's not like we go to heaven and there aren't any people there. Follow what I'm saying? And we might as well figure out how to love each other now because guess what we're going to do for all eternity? What are we going to do? It's going to continue forever. I hope that some of you are not going, oh man, I didn't know that. That's not good news. I hope you're not thinking like that because this love thing, we better figure it out. We better figure out how to do it. It's really that important. So there are two levels I think you can put love into practice. Please hear this. Please hear this. There are two levels you can put this love into practice. First, love those who are near. Love those who are near to you. Before Paul got to this wonderful teaching of 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the body being composed of many parts, many members. And each part has their part. There's a mouth, there's an eye, there's a nose, there's an ear. And each part needs each other. We need to value each other. And what he's basically saying in 1 Corinthians 12 is this. Listen, love those who are near to you. Value those who are near to you. I think we undervalue people near to us frequently. I think it's a tendency to do that. And we make the grave mistake of diminishing and not recognizing sometimes those closest to us. This is called, if you have an eyesight problem, hyperopia. You look beyond those near and you only see those far you're far-sighted and i think sometimes the church has been a little far-sighted and sometimes she can look at things like well spiritual things happen over there in russia or over there in china spiritual things are happening in indonesia or bangladesh that's where spiritual things that's where true spiritual things are happening and here in brookings we're just secular pagans and these people are ungrateful rich snobs You follow what I'm saying? And we look at all the people around us and say, we're undeserving, but spiritual things happen over here. And here's what I want to say. Here's why we tend to do that. We see the warts 
and the imperfections and the pimples of those close to us. Why? Because we know them. And we tend to romanticize by those things far away because we just don't know them as well. We can't have this far-sighted thing going on. We have to love the ones we are near to. We have to see the neighbor who's hurting. We have to see the foreigner living in our midst who's just down the street from us. We have to see the little boy next door who's hurting because his dad just left his mommy. We have to see those things. And we have to have a sympathetic heart that reaches out to the one near us. Back in my young days, a song came out with the chorus, Love the One You're With. You remember that song? It's a terribly shallow song. Doesn't even sound that good. Has some bad thoughts in it, actually. But you should love the one you're with. <laughs> we need to love each other. Church, we need to love each other. At home, you need to love your spouses. You need to love your husband. You need to love your wife. You need to love your kids. Kids need to love the parents. We need to love the ones that are really close to us. We, we need to make that a primary thing that we do. I joke at weddings frequently when I uh, give a message. I'll say to the couple getting married, listen, if you have a need to be rude, be rude to a stranger. If you have a need to be angry, be angry with a stranger. But don't get so familiar with each other that you think it's okay to just be rude. Don't be so familiar with each other that you think it's okay to be angry. What I'm saying, and I'm not saying be angry or rude with strangers, okay? Don't do that. Don't go out and say, hey, Pastor Steve said we can just be angry and rude with you all out here if we don't know you. No, don't do that. But you get what I'm saying is sometimes familiarity, uh, we think that gives us license to be a jerk. No, don't be like that. Love the ones you're with. Make it a point to do that on purpose. This fall, we're bringing in a seminar to our church. Laugh your way to a better marriage. Some of you know what this is all about. You've taken some of the material already. But on September 28th and 29th, we're going to bring in Mark Gunger. He's actually going to do it live. And the church that's going to host this Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. It's so important that we have good marriages and that we truly have Christ dominating the households that we're bringing this guy in. I don't care if you've been married a month, if you're engaged, if you've been married 40 years. Think about coming to this thing and working on your marriage. Our marriages should be places where the love of God is really manifested, where biblical love is really evident. And so mark your calendars on September 28th and 29th. Invite a neighbor. Invite a friend. Take somebody. This could be life-changing for somebody. Mark uses humor to break down barriers. It works very effectively. There's a lot of bad and ugly in the world, isn't there? And when you're near people, you see that. And that's part of the reason why we become farsighted. Just remember, if you were over there, you would see the same warts and pimples over there as you see over here in people, amen? Because people are people no matter where you are. That's my point. Here's my warning. I see this a lot. Here's my warning. Hear this warning, please. We cannot partner with the destructive force of Satan and become part of his destructive plan to wreck the body of Christ, and we do it unintentionally by using words that destroy one another. You hear what I'm saying on that? We truly have to have biblical love for one another. That counteracts the destructive forces of Satan in this world. But when we become a, a bickering, fighting, 
a nitpicking group of people and tearing each other down. We have just jumped right in board with Satan to destroy the body of Christ. Be careful what to say is what I'm saying. Be careful what to say. It does matter. Secondly, love those who are distant. Love strangers. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had an exchange with an expert of the law. The expert of the law came to the Lord and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the law. What does it say? He said, love the Lord your God um, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, good answer. Go do that, and you're going to experience what you're after. And the guy wanting to rationalize himself, wanting to find a loophole in this commandment, said, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus then launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, let me tell you who your neighbor is, basically. A man was going along on the road, and some robbers came upon him, beat him up, left him there on the side of the road. So along come two religious uh, people of the day, a priest and a Levi. They see this beaten down man laying there on the road. They just walk around him. They don't want to take time to, uh, you know, mess with this stranger. But then along comes an unlikely hero, a Samaritan. And Samaritans in that culture were viewed, in a sense, as second-class citizens, and they just didn't quite measure up and all that kind of stuff. Along comes his unlikely hero, the Samaritan. He sees the beaten-up man. He takes time out of his schedule to dress his wounds, minister to the guy, get him to some place, get him some help. Then Jesus says to the expert law, who is the neighbor? The Samaritan, the one who helped, the stranger. That's the heart of God that we are to have. We are to see people and help them distant people from God and be concerned about them. We're to be concerned about what's going on over there. I, I, I don't want to minimize that when I was saying that before, uh, you know, that people have hyperopia, they see beyond the needs immediate, but we're to see over there and be concerned about what's going on. We're to see people coming into our country who are refugees and aliens and they're hurt, and their lives have been destroyed by crazy dictators in their countries. We're to have a heart of compassion for them, and we're to reach out. We should be the first wave of love that they experience church, right? Sometimes the church has myopia. We're nearsighted. We only see our little needs, and we don't see the world around us. That's not correct either. That's wrong. We're to have a heart for the alien and the foreigner, we're to, we're to care about such ones. Otherwise, we'll have blurred vision and we'll have infighting over issues that don't matter because we're bickering about secondary issues. If we get the heart of God, we won't have time to be concerned about things that don't matter much. Just this last week, I picked up some new glasses. I love them. I haven't gotten a new pair of glasses for about four years. I'm very, uh, fairly nearsighted. Well, I'm very nearsighted. But my eyes are getting better. As I age, they're actually getting less and less nearsighted. The only thing that's getting better in me as I age. <laughs> so I knew that I wasn't seeing real well. And I, I, I felt like I was looking through like magnifying glasses. And so I got these new glasses on, and, and the lady gives them to me. And I put them on and go, oh, I got really excited. And I started saying, I can see clearly now. The rain's gone. I actually said that. She kind of looked at me and started giggling nervously, you know. I could see all obstacles in my way, right? It's going to be a bright, bright sunshine. Do you know that song? It's another one of those old but not very good songs. At any rate, I could just see so clearly, and I was amazed how clearly I could see. You know what 
Christ is doing for us in what I shared with you today, he's given us clear eyesight to see clearly what love looks like. First of all, we've got to see clearly all obstacles have been removed, that love, biblical love, has got to be the central way that we interact with one another. we just got to see that. And then he says, here's what it looks like, verses 4 through 7. It's patient, it's kind. It protects. It perseveres. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. It's going to continue forever. We might as well figure it out. We're going to deal with this in eternity if we don't deal with it now. And I pray that we become people here at Grace Point. This is an expression of who we really are. It becomes who we are. It's the backbone of how we do relationship at home and at the church. Amen? I pray it is who we really are. And I know the Holy Spirit will anoint us to live this way because that's what he does. Amen? So I pray that you caught a glimpse of this Grand Canyon view of love this morning and that it's affecting you. Here's my challenge. You go home this week, every day of the week, read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and love somebody that way, that day. Be, be kind, be patient with somebody, but read it every day, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and then choose to treat others that way. And they're going to get a big view, a magnificent view of what Christianity looks like then. If we don't live in love that way, people are going to get a diminished view. <laughs> They're going to get a smaller view of what Christianity really is all about. So now we're going to enter into a moment of, of communion. I want to prepare our hearts for this. Uh, let me give you a couple uh, instructions first, and then we'll get into uh, consecrating the elements. If you're sitting in the center sections and you're in the front half, you're going to just come up and get your communion elements from here. If you're in the back half, you can get your elements from the tables back by the back door. The sides, you're going to come up the sides here in the front. Upstairs, you're special folk. We love you very much. You're going to get served. Um, if you need gluten-free wafers, there's gluten-free wafers right here and also up um, by the sound booth upstairs. You can get those at those two places. Please take the elements and then hold them and we'll partake together. Let me give you this invitation to communion, but I want you to hear the words because it goes with the message today. I want you to listen and ponder upon this. Here's how this invitation begins. You who are walking in fellowship with God, in other words, you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then listen to this second part of the invitation. And are in love and harmony with your neighbors. You ought to know what that means now, right? We just talked about that for the last 30 minutes. So you who are walking in fellowship with God, and are in love and harmony with your neighbors who have earnestly repented of your sin and are leading a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, following the commands of God, walking in his holy ways. Take this as a moment to draw near to him in faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort, confessing your faith in the Almighty God. Would you bow your heads and I'm going to consecrate the elements. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you in great mercy and love gave your only Son, Jesus, to die a horrific death on the cross for our redemption. Accept our praise today. Accept our love. Accept our gratitude, we beseech you. We thank you for your 
unconditional love, this beautiful, magnificent love that you've shown us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of salvation in your Son. We thank you for the sacrifice he's made on each one of our behalf. And we thank you right now in him, our hearts have been cleansed. We thank you for the present witness of the Holy Spirit, that we are your sons and daughters, that as we receive this bread and this juice in memory of you and in anticipation of what you are going to do, that we are literally in communion with you. We thank you for all this today, Lord. And so we bet pray that these elements would be consecrated unto you, that they would be called holy instruments in this sacrament called communion. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your name and by your blood. Amen.